Before I introduce today's very special guest, I'd like to ask a favor of all our listeners. Please make sure you subscribe to whatever platform you're listening on. And when you get the chance, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wandering Bear Sports. Today's episode is brought to you by the very best caffeine supplement on the market. Used by elite athletes all over the world, caffeine chewing gum is without a doubt one of the quickest and tastiest ways to get your caffeine in pre-workout or game. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. Okay, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Today's very special guest played 76 games for the Waratahs. He won nine Shoot Shield titles during his time at Sydney Uni, played in 13 total. He's currently head of performance for the Aussie Women's Sevens team, and he works with some of the biggest cricketers in the world as their personal strength and conditioning coach. He's a very interesting man. He's a high achiever, and I've really, really enjoyed talking to him. So without further further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the great Tom Carter. You all right, mate? How are you? Yeah, good, good to see you. How you going? You too, brother. You too? I'm good. I'm good. Just give me one set. I'll just make sure I've got this properly set up. Mate, congratulations. Yeah, you no, killed thanks. that again. Yeah, yeah, mate. It's been, uh, it's been a good couple of weeks. I can't... Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a bit surreal. So, yeah, very good. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, mate, how, how this works is I've literally read one article on you in preparation for this, and I did it five minutes ago and we're just going to talk we're just going to talk um but i've got a lot of i've got a lot of things i want to ask you but (laughs) i I actually it was quite an interesting article and maybe it's jumping in too deep straight away i just want i just wanted to read this part of it it was about you um coaching with shani williams i think it was or shannon Shannon parrot shannon shannon and I thought it was interesting. Maybe it was. Maybe it is because Carter knows the pain of unfulfilled ambition. A 76-game Waratah, he never played for the Wallabies. The closest he came was a start for the New South Wales against the British and Irish Lions in midweek fixture in 2013. He scored two tries and stood on the turf at Allianz Stadium and realised he was done. How? What was your thought process? How did you come to that conclusion then? Oh, look, I think... Um... I, I sort of think, uh, like, probably you just have a feeling within yourself that um, uh, you want you want endings to be happy. I probably feel really good about my Waratahs ending, and probably a little bit more, a little bit more regret about the Sydney Uni ending. Um, but you, I think, you deep down, you know, when you're not willing to go that extra mile, you want to start taking shortcuts. And I just felt, um, you know, Czech was amazing. Michael Czech at the time was like, mate, we keep you involved in the organisation. But I sort of think with the things to um, grow, um, you need things to end. So, yeah, I sort of thought, what a fitting moment. Um, my brother played against the British and Irish Lions and I felt like um, it was just time. It was time was it, to go. Was it something that built up over time or was it something that just no. clicked to you? No, mate, I was driving down Moorpark Road and I've been talking to my mum and dad about it and I just thought, you know what, I, I think it's time. And sort of in the back of my mind, I had a couple of moments where I thought I was on a conditioning drill and I was always the guy that would compete. Not that I had the most natural ability, but I thought like I maximised what I had. And then yeah. mate, I just, I, it was the first time I was like, I could actually lose here and not care or I could take a shortcut and not care. And so uh, that, that, that conditioning session was at Newington after. And um, I just felt like, yeah, it's probably time to go. How... I'm, I'm fascinated by this because, like, you and I have had lots of chats, sort of little chats over the yeah. years. And, you know, um, in this article, they actually call you a maligned player, which is a very nice way of saying it. And I always saw you as super competitive. Yeah. Because, like, I'd hear people say stuff about you and then i go, well, yeah. have, you ever, have you ever met him? Have you ever spoken to him or had a beer with him? You know, so I always thought of you as super competitive. But how, how did you... What was your headspace stepping away from it? Did you struggle originally originally, or because you still had uni, was that kind of keeping that edge going? Uh, oh, I think probably staying and playing around uni probably was like a bit of a safety net. You know, you probably feel like it's a good opportunity to keep that competitive juices going and um, you sort of get your fix of being around the boys and the camaraderie. Um, but I suppose nothing replaces it. 
ultimately at that next level. Like, I think it's a bit of a safe place because club rugby, um, it's better or whatever known. Um, yeah. And I think I really struggled with it for a while. I probably still do. I, I guess I get it now through coaching. Um, coaching the women's sevens team, it's a challenge every day. Obviously, we're trying to do the ultimate in a short period of time at the Olympics. Um, but, mate, nothing replaces that ability to sort of get up for the contest week in, week out. Um, and, you know, I still love club rugby. Don't get me wrong. It was amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, it's sort of it's what keeps you alive. It's what keeps you on edge. That, you know, that anxiety and that desire to want to keep getting up and keep getting better, I think, is the key. And when you probably don't want to get any better anymore, it's probably a good sign that, you, you know, it's time to move on to something else. What in this article as well? It says you regretted, you regretted maybe the way that you played your character a little bit. Is that is that? Yeah. So, no, you're right. Um, you're bringing me on the Zoom. Yeah, it, is that is that really how you felt about it? Yeah, I do because I think it's you know people that probably played with me or played against me and got to know me would have a different side of me. But people who were watching from afar, um, or people that didn't uh, perhaps get my often. Uh, um, confrontational or racist side think differently. So um, I think that character tour, you live up to people's, um, I guess, perception of you at times. Um, but, you know, um, I, yeah, I, I do regret that because I think I think there's a different side of me and hopefully the people that have an interaction with me now, the coaching or, or those type of things have a different perception. But I spend probably 90% of the time trying to break down that perception. Um, and then I guess the other 10% is probably just be genuine who I am, really. Yeah. I, I, you know, you've sent me some nice messages over the years and, you know, I, I never thought that. And I, I, people that have had interactions with you probably wouldn't feel that. So it surprised me to hear, to read that. Um, you just said you regretted how your Sydney Uni career ended. How could you possibly regret it? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe well, the well, end of it, but God, you what? <laughs> Oh, I just feel like we missed out in the finals in the last year yeah. when Davidson was coaching. So for me, like, mate, failure and success is pretty black and white. You either win or you lose. Um, and I rec- I was talking about it. Um, we've been sort of just reflecting on our own. You know, when you have a child, you start reflecting on your life. And I guess as a parent, how do you want to be perceived? And I, and I sort of was saying to my wife, I have a genuine, genuine disdain for losing. Like, I just, I think, I don't know whether it was growing up in country New South Wales or being the youngest brother but something inside myself would build this up to being that my only measure of success would be whether I won or lost on a weekend. And that's the beautiful thing about rugby. It's probably why I sort of, I'm really enjoying stand because I can flick between four or five club rugby games simultaneously. And everyone goes to me, do you not, do you not follow the game? And I, I watch it intimately, but I'm really enjoying that because for me, every Saturday afternoon at five o'clock, your week was either a success or a failure. So for me, yeah. you know, I just, I, I just have this incredible, I just don't like losing, and and and, and perhaps I was a bad, bad loser. Are you, are you like that in all aspects, or just sort of rugby? No. Like, no. You, do you do you have to win when you play board games and ping pong? No. Well, no. I'm learning that being a, a parent of seven year old, you actually got to sometimes lose in backyard soccer or stuff. But no, um, I sort of feel like. Um, Oh, no, you. I, I, yeah, I, I, I have to win. Like I just want to win, and um, and whatever I do, I want to be really good at. So if I'm not very good at something, I'll be very rarely pick it up. Um, but but um, yeah, I try and sort of, uh, <laughs> I try and sort of. That's how I had to, I suppose, that what makes me kick as a person. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, because like to me, looking at you, you're super high achiever in everything you do, and I think. The common thread with high achievers is that competitive nature in, yeah. you know, not just sport, but, but life. Like you're competing with yourself yeah. in studies and you want to win at everything you do, really. Is yeah, that absolutely. fair? Yeah, no, it is. It is. And it's probably what drives you, I think, to have purpose every day and you sort of measure your life through wins and losses um, and success. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the joys of probably going into the role that I've gone into with is that, individual success and athletes achieving stuff is a really good purpose so it's probably not about me anymore but hopefully you can channel that drive and passion into helping others do something that they want to do in their life it's meaningful um that probably definitely is what drives me and i think anyone who's been really 
incredibly successful in any facet of life, there's those periods of time where you've got to work really hard. And I think you've got to have a purpose to that. Otherwise, it's just meaningless. You probably get lost in the grind or the, or the losses. Whereas I think if you've got something genuine that drives you, then being um, unsuccessful, having periods of stagnation are, are part of the process, really. I want to talk to you about coaching. Um, I've just jumped into coaching and I want to be very selfish and pick your, pick your brain on that. <laughs> but i got to ask, what... <laughs> Damn it. these podcasts are just an excuse for me to ask people questions really T- tell me about the impact sydney uni has had on your life yeah i mean it was obviously the greatest thing that i that i've ever done really i suppose i went there as a uh, a young guy watching my brothers play so this was sort of 95 96 when the club was going to be relegated i was a 12 or 13 year old um and i spent the best part of the next 25 years sort of following every success um of theirs or, or, or trying to help contribute to it. So um, it's a fantastic place. Um, I've got some of my best friends I'll ever meet in life from there. Um, I met the most incredible people. Um, I've got a, I've got a degree or two from there as well. Um, and so holds a very sacred, sacred place in my heart. Um, and I think, yeah, it's all my family. My dad still coaches fourth grade up there. And I think ultimately, um, those memories will get stronger as you go throughout life and you remember the moments and stuff and the people that you've met for sure. Do you, do you think you would have played for the Waratahs if you didn't go to Sydney Uni? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, no, I think that I was really fortunate. I met um, some incredible SNCs along the time there in Marty Harland and I think just that opportunity to um, be challenged physically and learn from good coaches. So, um I mean, I probably would have played rugby league if I didn't go to Sydney Uni, honestly. I probably would have gone to probably Gordon for a while and then tried to challenge myself elsewhere. So, yeah, I think for it, it's had to be a mystery not to sit there and say that I think Sydney University contributed enormously to my success for sure. What about the mental side of the game? Did you ever do any any work on that specifically? Yeah, we spent we spend a long amount. So there's a lot... Um, uh, Lisa Stalaker, who was a famous Australian uh, women's cricketer, her dad, Haran, um, was a sports psychologist. And he spent a lot of stuff in those early sort of 2000s. And then Todd Loudon, who's now down at Souths, was director of rugby. And we spent an enormous amount of time on the mental side of the game. Like, I know people speak about the physical preparation and senior university's elite development programs and scholarships. But I guess just being exposed to how you prepare for games and big games. And um, I felt like that was really important part particularly in those sort of 2005 we lost the sh- so it was, shoot, it was split into shoot shield and then Cliffy cup so the first part of the year yeah. we lost that that famous final down at rat park where cliffy parley um comes on and then pete Allen scores a try and so that was a really good preparation for the back end of the year um and so then in big games i think i think in the time we won nine grand finals and i lost four so it's sort of two shoot shields so one to eastwood in 206 one to warringah and then um, one to Eastwood and then one to North to 16. But, but the point being about that was just mental prep for big games and how we prepared to play. And, and Dave, o, Tim Davidson, of course, was such a wonderful captain. And, and just the, um, I guess, the technical and tactical parts of big games, but, but, but getting people up emotively to play in big moments was probably something that we learned along the way. I've got to ask, do the four finals that you lost eat away, more, eat away at you more than the feeling you got from winning nine finals. Does that yeah, still get away here? Yeah, it does. It does. I think 2011, we were probably Pierre Holler knocks out Daniel Hangahu. So we were probably, that East would be the best side all year. We lose an extra time. Um, 216, I thought we just probably um, didn't quite execute our best game in North Coach by Simon Cron did a really good job. Um, if I had my time again, I would prepare totally differently in that week. I think that you get caught in the moment. 2006, we got a charge down, down against Eastwood. So that was a bit frustrating at TG Milner. And then 2005 against the Rats, I think momentum, you learn momentum is really important in big games. And they obviously had the home crowd down at Rat Park and then Cliffy Parley got on a roll. So, um, and then they set piece probably took us apart late in the game. So I suppose you learn, if I was ever going to coaching, you'd learn that momentum and set piece is, is important. Um, and then just tactically, a few nuances in grand finals are important. How to, I guess, change that momentum of ebbs and flows. What would you change in 2016 for the Norse one? Oh, I just think we probably went away from, like, you know, set pieces important. You know, their scrum, we had a couple of moments early on in the game, and then at the back end of the game, their scrum probably got dominance. 
um, substitutions and then probably uh, made, I made a couple of errors. I had a handling error on half time, which was close to the line. I think Nick, Nick Palmer got a turnover. Um, they're big moments in big games. And I think, um, yeah, that, that's probably the one thing I'd reflect on. And I think as well, probably having an end point, like probably should have walked away after that. And so had that been my last game ever and you declare that and you state that, then I think it's probably a little bit of a different week for you. So probably a disappointing yeah. in my own performance. But, um, yeah, that's disappointing, I suppose. Um, I, I'm just so interested to hear all this because, to me, I've never met anyone that's won as many uh, rugby <laughs> tournaments as you. <laughs> but I guess that's why you did win so many. What was it like playing for the Waratahs? Coming from country New South Wales, what was that like? Yeah, it's, it's just a dream come true. And I know that's a cliche, but um, I remember my first game and I can remember my first moment of Super Rugby. And um, there was a long break between my first game, my first cap, and then when I played Super Rugby. But um, just the feeling of walking left out the change room and down the SFS, the old SFS, um, which is getting yeah. renovated, which is not too far from where we are now at Moore Park. But I was just electrifying. We get 38,000 people and you're playing with people like Phil War and Dan Vickham and Lottie Takiri. Um, yeah, it's the stuff that dreams are made of. And it's just it's just electric, you know. And, and it's funny, I say to people, it's almost easier to play at Super Rugby than Club Rugby because everyone does their job and then you just do your role and you're able to fulfil that role um, and everyone knows their job, so it's quite easy. Um, it was not easy, but, but you know what I mean? Like, it's easy. I know what you mean, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, amazing and um, a great pride around that and, and, and they play with people like Cliffy Parlow and... Um, you know, some greats of the game who uh, will forever, Luke Burgess will forever uh, remain very close to me. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing time. Looking back on it, were there any moments that stand out to you? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of, obviously, you debut against the Hurricanes, um, the Super Rugby final in 2008 against the Crusaders in Christchurch. Um, we were the first Waratahs team in 87 years to win at Auckland at Eden Park in 2009. Um, but 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 just the team in 2010, I think we had to beat the Hurricanes by bonus point in the last round to make the semis, and we did it. So we were just a team that I think we made five final series along the way, um, but was always be up for the big moments when it mattered. And I felt like we'd have some losses along the way, and we'd get ourselves into some tricky spots, but we'd always get ourselves out of it. And um, yeah, they're they're the things you remember the most. Mate, I'm, I'm going to start asking a few coaching questions. How, how did you get? <laughs> How did you get involved with the cricketers? How did that all come about? Yeah, so um, a very close friend of mine, Brad Haddon, um, his daughter fell ill in sort of late 2013, 14, and he uh, he rang me up and just said, listen, mate, I'm thinking of something different. I'm, I'm not in the Australian team. Can we do something different? And so, um, yeah, we just we just started training. I'd been involved in Sydney Uni cricket a little bit, but I'd known him a long time. Um, so I started training and um, this is this is a story. He obviously made it back to the Ashes in 2013 and 14. So outside of Mitchell Johnson, I think he was probably Australia's best player. And then he, then he won a World Cup. And then from there, I sort of caught up with Sean Abbott um, and Nathan Lyon, who have had a relationship now with eight years coached. And then I got involved in the City Sixers and then got involved with people like Ben Menenti um, and Harry Menenti. Um, and then I've yeah, I was really fortunate to be involved with the Sydney Cricket Club who just won their premiership for the first time last weekend. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of I grew up playing cricket, but it, I, I find it really um, – it's really quite easy for me to be an SNC cricket. With rugby, I tend to get quite emotional and attached to it and, and think very deep about it, whereas with cricket, um, I just come from a very, um, I guess, removed position. So um, yeah. I love I love working with them, but, but, but probably just think differently about cricket SNC as opposed to probably how I think about footy stuff. Did you have to do? I'm I'm sorry. I'm really interested in this. Did you did you have to do much research into some of the physical side of cricket, or was it? You know, you looked at a couple of bowlings and thought, oh, that makes sense. Because yeah. I've seen some of the stuff you do, and it's a little bit. I don't know if it's left of centre or what. But no, no, no. It is. I think. Um, I just think the amount of load that goes through a fast bowler's under spine, so flexion and rotation. I've sort of thought. Well, ultimately, to be to have a good run up, it's like a middle distance runner, and then there's almost like a triple jump position in there and then um and then and then flexion and rotation so i probably just thought differently about it um and then one of my cricketers george furrer who's playing professionally in england he'd had a few injuries over time in his lumbar spine and so then you sort of 
you start sort of problem solving and then you work out, I suppose, what formula works differently. Um, it's quite an incredible sport, like so skill-based, but, but athletically, you know, the, the demands on a bowl, or particularly a test cricket, are very challenging. Um, and then, you know, you know, to work with Nathan, um, you know, that was pretty amazing, really, to be through his career. Um, I sort of don't talk technically about them very much, but just sort of give them opportunities. They'll talk about, like, well, how they feel at the crease and what they need to feel better at. And then, um, and then obviously, Sean, through what he's been through and um, now how he's come out the other side and his performances, um, get back into the one-day one side. It's incredible. When, so when you, when you stopped um, at uni, you started your business and... and did, did it just, did it, sorry, I'm stuttering. Did this just flow on from there? Is yeah. That so, it came about? so 2014, I sort of was, didn't know what I wanted to do post rugby. I suppose like many people sort of had a, had a couple of degrees, but was not really sure. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much how it started. It, it, it basically started doing some one-on-one coaching with the cricketers and then it built and then got into some consultancy and then got involved with some teams. Um, and then, um, yeah, that that was that was the pretty much the the and then a couple of English cricketers, the county cricketers, when the um, pre-COVID era was around, they would come out every summer and do some work with me, um, and uh, you know built some incredible relationships and really enjoyed it. Like, um, and then um, I got involved as I said with Sydney Cricket Club this year. So uh, yeah, it's been a bit different, a bit different for a rugby player to be involved in cricket, and they certainly think differently of you but but um i hope we can provide some insight of different skill sets that perhaps they don't get in their current or their own environment so when you finished playing because uh, i remember you were you were snc at uni for a year or two yeah yeah so did some high performance work with sydney uni sort of around 16 17 and then left at the end of 17 so at the end of 17 went out on my own at, so that was 2018 um yeah. And then at the end of 2018, got a call from Johnny Minenti um, saying, mate, I'm keen. Um, we'd had a relationship for 20 odd years, but um, I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to rugby. I think that you got, it, it just had consumed my life for so long. And um, it was probably time I invested in my family and other things. And then, um, you know, I was very fortunate now, looking back on that, um, to get back involved with the, the Sevens, um, where I've been since 2019. Um, so, what's, so what's your role with the sevens? And uh, so just to clarify, you're, you're the you're the Aussie head women's sevens team. Aussie women's sevens team is the head of athletic performance. So, okay. yeah. Okay, for for someone who was never very athletic, what does that mean? Not you. What does <laughs> what does what does that mean? Um, so I manage the physical performance side of things. So I work with sort of S and C um, physios, rehab, um, and the doctor, and, and then Johnny to provide. Um, I guess the best physical performance program for the girls. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been really really enjoyable. They're an incredible group. They're obviously defending gold medalists, and they're wonderful athletes. Like I say that to people, like they love running. They're incredibly powerful. They love jumping, um, and they love lifting weights. So, and they've got good skills. So, really fortunate um, to be able to work with them. And um, you know, um, hopefully we were able to get a good result in um, in Tokyo twenty twenty one in in one hundred and two days. So um, I was I was actually thinking about this today. So the Australian women's sevens team is probably the only. I'm sure I know some rugby league teams and there's some cricket and AFL, but in reality, they're the only full time women's professional sporting team in this country. Is is that fair? So yeah, that's so good, that's a good question. I, I actually am not sure. Um, I'm sure. Other sports might be semi-professional, professional, but yeah, I, I believe so. Maybe, maybe they are one of the um, true centralised models, perhaps. Yeah. What, what I'm getting at is, so you're really coaching the cream of the crop of athletes, female athletes in this country, and obviously they're already fit. Most of them would already already be strong. You know, how, how do you get more out of them? Yeah, yeah I mean. To be fair to the group, they're pretty intrinsically motivated. I think we've got um, eight or nine returning from Rio that won gold. Um, but, um, and you're right, they're absolutely athletically at the, the peak of their powers, you know, with their touch football background, some of them or some of them have come through the development systems where they've played rugby. So uh, by no means am I um, reinventing the wheel, but um, you're just trying to challenge them around you know, incremental improvements would get a little bit faster, a little bit more powerful. I think um, the world games changed since Rio. So that was five years ago. Um, a lot of the programs are now centralised. Um, it's a pretty competitive sport. Um, America have done a great job with talent recycling. So 
people have played other sports have dropped into their program. Canada have been very strong for a period of time and, and New Zealand obviously um, have always been um, one or two in the world. So um, I guess it's more around challenging them every day around trying to be a little bit better and, and achieve the ultimate really. Uh, but, but again, it's a pretty easy job considering how, how good they are and how motivated they are. So, so it's not a case of, okay, you've got a five-minute Bronco. We've got to get you four-and-a-half-minute Bronco. Oh, no, we squeeze is that, the Is that how you work it? Yeah, we squeeze the lemon pretty hard. Yeah, we do. We do around speed and power and, you know, what's your personal best and, and can we improve that and can we make you better footy players and <clears throat> try and integrate it a lot. You know, I'm very fortunate. Johnny and Antje and James Stannard are the coaches and they're, they've got great rugby brains um, and Johnny's just got a great vision of the game. So he's got a pretty clear mandate to me around what he wants. Um, and then, you know, the challenge has been not playing for 16 months during COVID. So you just learn about people and human beings and how do you keep them motivated? And there's no such thing as a plan because it tends to change every week. Um, but that's been really good because I think you just learn to be adaptable and a bit more agile, excuse the, the, the pun, but maybe you should probably learn how to, how to, um, you know, measure success in these times and, and, and have your small wins, but also, I suppose, keep in mind the end, the end goal as well. What did the 2020 season, for, for lack of a better term, look like for the girls? Yeah, look, that is trained. Like, to be fair to them, I've never met a program, of, you know, like I've never met people that just applied themselves. So some girls went and played NRLW or we played um, 15s in the Jack Scott Cup or they went and played sevens tournaments around Sydney. Um, but, but for better of the word they haven't played as a team since Sydney 7th January last year so um, yeah it's it's been it's been very challenging I think Johnny Menenti and Scotty Bowen have done a great job in in managing the program and keeping people uh, I guess motivated and stimulated to keep performing at their best what did you learn about coaching yourself in 2020 I think it was the making of me. I think ultimately in my role, you can sit back and you can write programs and you can oversee stuff and look at GPS data and make assumptions. But during our COVID time, um, Johnny and I coached six hours a day. So it was, it was effectively two on two or one on one coaching, um, you know, 20 metres apart in a park and we just coached girls. And I think it just taught me, um, I think I'd become a very lazy coach and lacked probably detail and purpose um, and then it just taught you about how to motivate people and how to stimulate um, development so that was probably the biggest thing for me and looking back on it I loved every minute of it and probably regained my passion for the industry I think you can become a you're either a, a manager or an administrator or you're a coach and I certainly love the coaching side of things um, and seeing them develop and and setting um, I guess goals and, and, and seeing them achieve that which is fantastic because ultimately the best thing about being a rugby SNC is seeing transference we talked about it for years in the game around the Wallabies you know how do we transfer or you know for better of a word how do you see people improve physical qualities and then in the game and um, that, that for me was probably the buzz I got out of it and, and Johnny was great you know Johnny was on board and we helped see girls grow and we've got a really good young group um and, and I think the one thing, whatever happens in um, Tokyo, the women's team will be incredibly strong for many years. So next year's Commonwealth Games and World Cup, they will be incredibly strong for years to come. So seeing those girls develop was, was really rewarding and fulfilling. And when you talk about goal setting, do you put demands on the girls or do you encourage them to set their own demands? No, nah, set their own demands. Ultimately, it's got to come from them. So sort of trying to just facilitate where does that look like, you know, what does that look like? What do you want to achieve? And then sort of working back from that. But ultimately it's probably got to be intrinsic within them. I think, I don't think external goals ever work in rugby. You know what I mean? You get the coaches that get up there and say, this is what we want to achieve, but it's a lot more powerful when a playing group or an individual says, this is actually what I want to do. Um, and that's probably what I learned from cricket, um, being exposed to some of those incredible high achievers the ones that have got real purpose and drive tend to be the one the more successful ones um because because success is never linear if you map it over a career everyone has peaks and troughs but those that are able to keep going and finding um self-improvement and purpose tend to be a little bit um more successful over time so 
Um, it was more around how the girls, I suppose, felt that, that what they needed to do. But again, it's easy to say that you know, when there was 12 months, when the Olympics were postponed for 12 months, 12 months was a long time. So trying to break that down again, like, and, and Johnny, <clears throat> to be fair to him, was incredible. You know, he just speaks about four-week blocks and you're going to have all these big, you know, spreadsheets of, you know, cycles and goals but we sort of broke it down to four week blocks and then celebrated that success and reviewed it and then sort of kept trying to change it but ultimately get them ready for 12 months that's probably what um i'm very fortunate that he was um you know around and that was something he's obviously been involved with club rugby himself as a player and then at eastwood and, and been a, you know the cornerstone of their success for long periods and then with the seven so he's seen a lot of that stuff and it's a good experience for me because i think you can get as a player you know, you think about a shoot shield, even that's quite long. And if you don't break the moments down and celebrate them. Um, and, Tim, and Tim Davidson said, oh, you asked earlier about what do we regret about 2016. Um, I think we pushed them incredibly hard, but I think we should have in retrospect broken up the season and in club footy when people get stale, going to the pub and having a few schooners is probably a better, better option than, you know, physically challenging people. So I think being able to get people... Um, along the journey and seeing that there's moments to get away and enjoy it and refresh and then, and then go again. Yeah, that's probably been the big thing I've learned. What's the difference between coaching men and women? Uh, well, you know, to be fair to our girls, they're, they're, they're probably the, the best athletes that I've ever trained. Um, uh, but I think it's the attention to detail and the language you use. So you've got to be very specific and explain things. I think sometimes I get quite colloquial with my language and they'll be first to pull that apart. So, yeah, attention to detail and standards, you know, around that stuff. So, um, you know, that's a good reflection for me. But there's not much difference, mate. Like our groups, they're incredibly good at what they do and they're, they're quite easy to, to train. Um, but definitely just my definition of drills or how I explain things or my coaching cues and stuff around movement is probably, that's the big thing that I've noticed. So that's been uh, a good thing for your coaching? Yeah, definitely it has been. Definitely has been, I think. Um, you know, that in explicit versus implicit and intrinsic versus extrinsic drill. So um, I think being able to set up those type of things within training or constraints to get that outcome. Um, but they're incredibly competitive. So that's the one thing that gets misconstrued and our group want to be the best. So the setting tasks where they have to compete um, can often bring the best out of them. Mate, I, I haven't coached a lot of women, but I've, I've been invited to do some scrum sessions and... You know, obviously do a lot of scrum coaching with men and I actually find the girls a delight to work with yeah. because they don't have this assumed knowledge of, well, who, what does this fucking guy know? You know, yeah. you know and they, they listen and if it makes sense, they'll go with it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that open book and that, um, that eagerness to want to learn and be better. And um, I was fortunate enough to be involved with Bronte Campbell, the swimmer, and, um, you know, what she taught me in a short period of time was, was it was just, you know, she's been a an elite swimmer for I think 18 years now um, but just the discipline um, and attention to detail around their training really blew me away and it was a really good reminder around um, you know I guess what the human um, people you know human athlete is truly capable of so um, yeah look it's been something I really love to be honest with you it's been um, you know uh, exceeded my expectations and even more Man, I'm going to jump around a little bit because that's how my brain works. Have you seen the test on Amazon? No. Yes, yes, yep, 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 yep. So I'm not a cricket guy, but I was absolutely enthralled by that. And it made me realise what an intense mental and physical game cricket is. Tell me about someone like Nathan Lyon because I look at him and particularly in that show, he's the absolute top of his field and you know, I'd hate to think how many days away they are a year, but what's it like working with someone like him? Yeah, he's um, well, he's the goat, I suppose. Um, but 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 he has the same um, challenges that we all have. Um, but what he's got is an incredible understanding of what he needs to do to perform well. So he's played five, he's played a hundred tests or five hundred days of Test cricket. When you think about that, you know in in rugby terms, if you play 100 tests, you're pretty nervous, I guess, for 100 moments in your life or pre-game, whereas he's probably had 500 days of that. Um, and as you said, they travel the world, they're away from their families. Um, and then they obviously, you know, he's obviously taken 397 test wickets. I think that's third all time, but he obviously, obviously gets heavily scrutinised. Um, 
So just my admiration for that, to be able to tolerate that. It's almost like a, a surgeon. Um, obviously, it's not, it's not life or death what, he, what, or death what he's doing, but um, that ability to perform. Um, and, you know, off spin isn't leg spin. You know, off spin's a different craft and, and it's hard in Australia. Um, you know, obviously in India, they've had some very famous off spinners in the early era, but for, for Nathan to be able to do his craft in Australia and do what he's done is just incredible. So, um real clear purpose around what he's trying to achieve um, and then just the technical skill, technical mastery of what they do. And I said it to a few people. If I had one regret on my footy career. I, know I, I wasn't very skillful, but I don't think I worked hard on my skills. Like if you threw 10 extra passes at the end of training or you see a hooker throw 10 line-out throws, the skill acquisition in cricket is just unbelievable, the amount that they practice their skills, like the amount that he would bowl time and time again and he'll get a bowling coach down from Queensland, John Davidson, and he practices that and he practices his delivery stride and a few nuances around that. You, you, you're not surprised that they're so successful, but it also probably is surprising how much more skill they do than others, like, you know, like almost like a basketball shooter. So, um, you know, that's probably the things that, that have stuck out in my mind. But he's just such a uh, knockabout bloke when he's not training. So I sort of trying, as I said to him, my job is to create an environment where I can just make him feel as comfortable as possible and be a support through whatever. Um, and then we work on what we think really works with bowling and, you know, through our different stages, we might challenge some certain things, but it's been pretty consistent for a long period of time. I, I, I was talking to Michael Herper about this and I think it would apply to cricket probably more so because it's not, it's not an 80-minute game, it's a five-day game. And that, yeah, money is a nice motivation, but you, you can't do something like that just for money, no. I, I don't think. I, and I'm sure cricket is significantly better than rugby. But there's got to be something up here that that drives him. There's, yeah, I think that's a genuine love of the game, but I think it is genuine yeah. seeing how great you can be at your craft. It's an opportunity to show your skill um, or showcase your skill time and time again. And I think that's what inspires them around that is that self-improvement. I think I've had a little bit to do with Steve Smith, um, but just their desire to want to be better. I've never seen anything like it in my time um, around skill acquisition and stuff. It's pretty incredible. And, and, and sometimes around physical attributes as well. That's probably something that's short of It's very interesting, the, the evolution of cricket from like the, the Shane Warne era right at the start of his career to now where they're all basically athletes. Yeah, um, yeah. How's the next 100 days look for the Aussie Sevens team? Yeah, look, it'd be nice for us to play some trials or games before the Olympics. Um, but, are there any games or is that to be confirmed? No, nah, it's to be confirmed, but we were hopeful, obviously, um, of being able to play some form of games pre. But um, it just involved heat camps and it involves us just sharpening um, the sword, really. Um, we probably had a couple of um, opposed stuff the last couple of weeks and the girls have probably looked the sharpest they've looked in three years so um, we've got a few people in rehab that, that need to come out um, but it's just about us getting cohesion and building combinations and confidence so um, it's going to be the hottest Olympics in history so we've got to deal with the heat in Tokyo um, but just building systems and processes and um, they've done an enormous amount of physical work over the last sort of 12 months so um, now time for the coaches to have that opportunity to, to I suppose, build what, what is their best combination. And then, um, you know, it's a three-day tournament. And then, um, you know, obviously, um, as you go progress through those days, it gets more and more important. And hopefully come day three, we're still there or thereabouts at the back end of the day. You mentioned heat camps. What does that involve? Yeah, um, oh, it's pretty. It's pretty brutal. Like it's obviously the, the conditions. I think 36, 37 degrees. You know, significant amount of humidity. So just trying to prepare them for that. That climate will obviously leave Australia in July, where it could be winter. So um, I think every team across the world is trying to work out how do they and in, in a COVID environment with all the quarantine regulations, what does it actually look like, and what does the normal Olympics look like? So um, you know, we're a we, 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 we want to be the most skillful and, and, and I suppose fastest team or repeat speed team. So, you know, that's what we've got to be able to apply ourselves in the heat. And, um, yeah, that's what we'll try and work on. So you're going to go to Darwin, just go to Darwin or something? Well, we, we sort of <laughs> maybe, mate, mate, we've been we've been playing around with lots of different things. Johnny, you know, Johnny's really good at that stuff around his planning and prep. So how do you sort of, how do you get heat acclimation in the winter of Sydney? That, that's to be, um, to be confirmed, but we're certainly trying to push the envelope around a few things around that, um, just, to, just to make sure that we're physically and mentally prepared for that. How's, how's it going to look like 
when you're in it's Tokyo, isn't it? When you're in Tokyo, is it? I, I imagine it won't be a proper, you know, you're there for the three weeks type thing or flying. No, fly I, out? I, I, no I think it'll be flying fly out. So it's, that's you know the every second day the chat the, the, the I suppose the plan or the the rules and regulations change, but um, you know that'll be a bit disappointing. It won't be perhaps a normal Olympics, but we're very grateful considering what's going on throughout the world to be able to go. So um, just to be able to go and have an Olympics will be will be fantastic. But I believe it'll be very different to perhaps what it was like in Rio and, and obviously London before that for sure. Mate, I, I you get to go. Obviously, they don't limit. <clears throat> no, I think we'll go. We'll get to go. So um, you know, I think hopefully by the time we get there, my role will effectively be done you know we'll be in a taper or, or, or we'll be just in game mode so um then it's sort of switched to helping them recover and, and being a support as much as possible so they can prepare um to the best of their ability but, but, but by the time we get there absolutely the physical work will be done mate I'll, I'll, i won't keep you too much longer i'm, I'm really grateful for this that's right talk, talk to me about your coaching influences wow um you know, that's a really interesting thing. I mean, I was surprised I've touched upon him already on the podcast, but Johnny Menenti's been, um, his man management skills, um, but his ability to, I suppose, believe what the winning um, formula is. So foresee what the best, you know, what, what does a gold medal winning performance look like and what do we need to do to get there has been really, really um, uh, insightful for me. Um, I worked with Trevor Bayless at the Sydney Sixers, who was the, win- the England World Cup career coach. And he, again, was a great guy around, creating an environment in the change room where England one day side just believed that mm. it didn't matter. They could play with such freedom that they'd eventually win. So that you see these guys that would be coming to the environment and they'd have this um, courage and character to play um, shots and, and really take the game away. So that was a really interesting way of seeing how you've got to be able to build trust and, and as a coach, wear the losses, but, but instill that belief in players to play with their natural freedom. And they obviously did that when they won the World Cup. Um, so those those two probably around that stuff, um, and then um, you know there's some um, you know I was very fortunate with Waratahs to be to be coached by some great people you know so Neil McKenzie, Michael Checker, um, you know I even had backs coaches like Scotty Bowen, Todd Loudon, um, you know Chris Malone like the, you, you I think you learn a lot from a lot of coaches and I think that that's the key is over your time if you're smart you develop your own ideas, but you pick and choose and take stuff from a lot of different coaches and then use that eventually. Because I think a lot of coaches in Australia don't get the opportunity, but they're great coaches. There's a lot of good coaches at Club Rugby um, that have insight. And I think when you look back on your career, you realise there's little nuances that you pick up along the way. Um, So, yeah, I I sort of feel like I've probably been able to pick up lots of stuff along the way and, and shape into what I sort of believe. And then, in the SNC space, unfortunately, there's some great people around Rugby Australia that give you ideas and support and mentor you. So um, I'm only 38, so I'm very much... I thought I knew a lot when I retired at 30. I can tell you I don't know much at all. Like, I'm serious. And I mean, that you sit there and just go, my God, um, I've got a lot of long way to go. But I think you probably don't become a good coach to you 50 or 55. And <clears throat> I talked to Daniel Hallengar, who a lot, who's at the Blues as the assistant coach now. And you know, you, you sort of, that open growth mindset, I think, as a coach is important. You know, when you start thinking you've got the answers, then um, you don't really. And I think um, Craig Twentyman, who was involved with the Women's Sevens when they won, who's now in the Auckland Warriors, he's been a great person to, you know, to, to balance ideas off around that. Um, but, but yeah, as I said to you, mate, sort of, I sort of try and pick up bits along the way and, and it's certainly got a long way to go. But, but I suppose that's why you love coaching, isn't it? You, you try and as long as you feel like you're getting better, it's like a player... When I'm sure you start out in the shoot shield, you don't, I guess, to see how your career would turn out, but you sort of hopefully get better each year. Um, yeah, and that's probably, I guess, my mentality or, or mindset around the coach. It is a good way of looking at it. Something I've noticed, um, like I've literally been coaching like just this year, um, is you, you learn just as much what to do as what yeah. not to do. And, and both are very valuable. Um, and, you know, I've, I've made mistakes already and, and I feel like opening up to that and admitting it. And I don't think you ever stop making mistakes. Yeah, 100%. And I think you want to become a cross and you're very keen to stamp your authority as a young coach. And this is what I believe in and this is what I, what I, what I think. But then as you get older, you realise that um, I suppose being, being able to assess the situation in that any given moment and what's best in that time is probably the most important thing, not what your technical or tactical knowledge is. So I think... 
um, that's the great coaches. They're able to shape people to be able to basically coach themselves. As a coach, you make yourself redundant and then you're just a guiding figure. But the great coaches know when to come in, you know, um, chip people around being better, let them take ownership, make them be accountable and, and I suppose work through that as well and plus also improve them. Um, and I think that's your job as a coach is to create an environment where people get better. Um, and that's that's all we can do is, is do your role and allow people to be better. Um, and if you can do that, I think you're probably on the path to being better uh, as a coach, but also as a, as a group. Um, you know, it's easier said than done. And there's a fair few cliches in that, but I certainly think reflect on my career. The great coaches were the ones that inspired you to pursue being better and made you feel comfortable if you made a mistake. I've got a couple more questions, mate, then I'll leave you alone. That's all right. We talked about Johnny Minetti, a magnificent human being, and I've, I've, I've seen he's put his hand up for the TARS job. I actually hope he doesn't get it because I, I think it would be – I'm to be careful how I word this, but I, I, I like him too much. <laughs> do, yeah. do, you, do, you, do you keep an eye on what's going on at that sort of level? Um, yeah, you do, but I think you become quite, um, I suppose, insular in what you focus on, like you know, your own ecosystem environment. And for us, we've got 102 days, the Olympics, and that's all sort of I think about. And then after that, whatever happens sort of happens. Um, I think, you know, I'm an ex-Voratar, so you care about the team and you want them to be successful. And you just want Australian rugby to be successful, ultimately. You want people to be coming and filling the stadiums talking about the Wallabies and being excited. I think that that's what, you know, and I'll, you know, I work for Rugby Australia and I'm passionate about the game. Otherwise, if I wasn't passionate, I probably wouldn't do my job. So, um, you know, we, you want people to be successful. Um, and there's a lot of good people around Australian rugby at the moment. And hopefully, um, you know, people can see that belief and faith and, and we can get a good result with the Wallabies and, and, and any of those teams. So, um, but, but, but mate, in terms of the day-to-day stuff, like I'm probably busy enough trying to manage my own backyard, like you sort of... I don't think you can take your eyes off that prize. So for me, that's probably where my focus lies for now. You, you've had a lot of success, but there has been some failures in there. How have the failures shaped you for future yeah. success? Well, I definitely think the failures um, shape you more than your success. I think um, it forces you to reflect on where you went wrong, but I'll probably it, it, it exposes you to realise that you don't like losing, uh, but it's a part of life and it's part of the risk that you take whenever you try and win something. Um, and, uh, you know, you learn the value of family and good support networks and people standing around you and supporting you. Um, and you can't ever take that for granted. Like, we're, we're not we're not um, performing miracle or life-saving surgery. You're involved in sport. I think that your relevance as a sporting coach, it is important, but there's other things as important as well, like your family and your friends. So I think being that perspective is probably what I've learned from the losses. I think it, it forces you to reflect as a coach. Like you can't blame players and go, oh, we lost because of that. Like ultimately you've got to look at yourself first and foremost. Um, I, like, but- I like Eddie Jones' approach with that. When they lose a game, he always says that I didn't coach well enough, which yeah, I think is a really interesting approach. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it is because I think it's then, you know, you're starting to look at, okay, what, what did I do in the week? Like, you know, the, the tactical, technical, physical and psychological aspects of the game, <clears throat> you know, where did I, um, or what did I contribute to that? Like, as those four pillars, um, how did I create that environment? You know, who did I put in positions to make decisions around that stuff? And sometimes the game, like, you know, there's so many great coaches in AFL and rugby league and what of course to I've learned as I've got older, if you look at it, is that the margin for error is so small. Like every year, every team has a great off-season. You might have one or two injuries to key positional players and you might finish eighth instead of fourth or you might finish fourth instead of first. But there's still the person that finished fourth is a great coach. Um, so for me, you look at longevity in the game and you look at a Bellamy or a Bennett or a Ricky Stewart or some of the AFL people, um, and you just realise, well, John Longmire at the Swans, for example, they obviously haven't had two good years, but they've come out and become 5-0. and And you just realise how calm and measured they must be when they're not at their top and when they're not having success. And then, obviously, I think being able to see what how the game trends are going, like what does a winning performance look like in NRL when the rules have changed or a few nuances. And that that's probably the love of it for me. I probably love that part of coaching more than I love playing, is that um, now I'm involved in it. It's like... 
you know, in a, in a playing career, you've only got a short amount of time. So you always feel like every weekend's the most important and you've got to make it now, otherwise you'll never make it. Whereas probably his coaching, it's like, well, I've probably got 30 years ahead of me to learn and make mistakes, but they probably take it slowly. Um, so that's probably what I've learned from the success is probably, um, you know, not, 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 not grieve your losses like a child, sort of manage them with grace like an adult and think, well, wow, hey, this is a moment in time. And yes, it hurts now, but, but I'll learn a lot from that. And then, then I can build on to that. Um, so, yeah, that's probably what I've, I've probably thought back around. And, and probably the most important thing is probably really not thinking about the future in that moment. I thought when we made the Super Rugby final, hopefully there'll be another one. But, but, but there, might, there was never another one um, until the Warriors has won in two four days without me. So being able to being able to stay in that moment, I know again, you know, not Zen Buddhist here, I'm saying, but but being able to really absorb yourself and focus on that, um, and 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 be present and and, and execute that task is probably yeah, I'd probably learn from my losses. Mate, that's a great answer. Look, looking back on it all, is there anything that you would change? Well, I said at the start, I'd probably change my caricature or my personality, perhaps, because I think that affected people's perception of my ability or how I played. Um, so one, I'd, I'd, I'd totally change how I train. <clears throat> I think I made a lot of mistakes on myself when I thought I thought I had to be bigger. I'd probably work harder on my skill. And I think speed and power, like power-to-weight ratios probably, um, I think is the key to being a back in super rugby. Um, and I think... I probably got less athletic as I got older. How, how ironic is that? You know, you get paid to be a professional rugby player, but you're getting less athletic and less skillful. So, and that was my undoing in sense of how I thought about the game. But I think being brave enough to challenge that, if I could have my time again, that'd be the one thing I'd leave, I, I'd do differently. And then, so how I trained, um, my perception of the public, and then probably the most important thing is how I played, having the freedom to pull the trigger and, and just play footy. Like, you know, you play footy in the backyard, with so much freedom or touch footy and you throw a bad pass or you drop a ball. Whereas I think it's super rugby, I didn't play that way. So, you know, I've got pigeonholed as being very unskillful and one-dimensional, probably because I was within myself a little bit too conservative. So, yeah, I'd probably do those three things differently. Yeah, I've always thought that, like, rugby's very... Once the perception of you's there, it never, ever changes. No, never. Like, for me, I was not a ball runner. But to say all of a sudden I had the most ball carries in shoot shield for a season, I would still be seen as not a ball runner. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? it yeah. And I, th- I think that it probably, it probably messes some guys' careers up. Like you yeah. had an amazing career and, you know, I, I, I know the competitor you are, you still have some regrets, but you had an amazing career and you and I know just as many guys in the shoot shield who have that perception on them, who could have yeah. easily played super rugby if they didn't have that on them. I agree, and I think for you, you, you were talking earlier about the Waratahs. I, I don't know who will get it, but I'll, I hope they have a strong flavour to um, um, look at club rugby because there's a lot of really, really good players in club rugby that might be 27 or 28, but I think are really, really good footballers, and they just need an opportunity. And um, I believe the young guys they've got there are fantastic as well, but I think we can create a really good blend um, of that, and that will make Australian rugby really strong for a long period of time. So I'm not in the young or the old corner, but the one thing I will say is looking at cricket, and I learned this from Trevor Bayless, is a batsman will hit the ball so differently, yet you never tell a batter how to set up the same way. Like a, a, a batter at that level, particularly in BBL or Shield or Test Cricket, will have a certain idiosyncrasies. Or, but ultimately, it's all about how balanced you are when you hit the ball. Um, and it's really fascinating... The, the role of that coach in cricket is, is it a manager or is it a facilitator as opposed to a technical coach? <clears throat> um, and so every cricketer hits the ball differently, right? Whereas in yeah. rugby, we, we, we always try and, oh, you've got to carry the ball this way or you've got to pass the ball this way. And it's quite interesting, as you just said, about perception for pigeonholing people. And I think we try and put people in these boxes rather than saying, you've got this great skill set. I just want you to be you and you can add on to people, whereas it's almost like a reduction. You're not good at this, whereas opposed to we, you know, building people up. Um, and that's probably, um, I guess, what really good coaches do is build people up to do extraordinary things or things that are above what people think of them. And that's probably, I think, you know, the key to it all. Um, do you know the only coach I've ever had that has said what you just said, and I hope he doesn't listen to this, but Todd Loudon, he, he said that. He said, my job is to get the best out of you. It's not to make you something you're not. Yeah, right. yeah. And I think, I think you know, Pete Playford, who was involved with the Stars, who was a great coach, he used to say, you want to have a coach 
at night time when you get cleaning your teeth or you're going to bed, you're thinking about those moments. And I think, you know, that's what ultimately a coach is, is someone who can help mentor you. You know, Chucky Stannard, who's a young coach on the up, he, he's, the way he thinks about the game is just quite incredible. Um, and, and that's when you, you know, not that I, I, I try not delve into the technical stuff too much, like I'm an SNC now. But you hear things and you think, wow, I wish I thought about that. You know, how you catch the ball and where you position your hands and all of those type of things. And you think, um, you know, it's it's quite incredible, really, um, the great coaches, how they challenge your thinking. And that's coaching, right? For someone to have a comment to you and then you walk away from it and you're still thinking about it because obviously something within you is computing, thinking, hey, Dev, maybe that was an interesting thing. Maybe I should try it. And I... Um, but the be as you said, in an environment that's not challenging you that you're failing, but almost like you're going to add on to the skills that you've got. The, the amount of times over the last two years where I've gone, of course, that makes so much sense, but I'd never thought of it like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, countless for me, times. For, for me, you know, I always thought I was quite fit, but I was never fit enough to get first to see the ball. <clears throat> so if I, if I thought about my career again, it'd be like if I worked harder into position and then you're just seeing pictures of the defence and you gave yourself more time, then you'd be able to make better decisions. Well, you can only make give yourself more time if you work harder into position. But I never thought of that. I never thought of being fitter to work harder to see the defence. I always thought being fitter would chase kicks better, would allow me to carry more, would allow me to make more tackles. But probably the one thing I could have done is been more efficient in all of those facets than being able to see the defence more. And those type of things, I think, when you think about as a coach, are what probably separates the really good ones from, from the good or the or they're not so good. Any interest in rugby coaching for you? <laughs> no, no. I sort of feel like it's consumed my life. You know, I look at it, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and I look at it, it's, it's like like I see it as a as such a deep art about, you know, I learn. I think it's, rugby's given me so much and then, and I've met so many incredible people um, and it's been a vehicle for me to do extraordinary things that you touched upon earlier around you know, degrees and waratahs and, and people I've met and, um, but no, no, I think it would it would tip me over the edge. But 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 but, but can stand a part of where I sit in it and, and love what I do and, and contribute. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it it is you know hats off to the coaches that the the, the, the wear that week in week out. I, I really enjoy morale because um, you know I, I wear my heart on my sleeve about winning and losing and we're really connected about that. But yeah, nah, I enjoy my weekends a little bit too much for that. I've, um, I must admit, I am surprised by how much work goes into coaching. It's way, it's, it's, it's way more than I thought, even at a second grade level. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's like having another job, honestly. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, cutting games, watching, giving feedback, picking teams, managing people, managing structures, managing yeah. working with a backs coach, forwards coach, head coach. Like It's like, yeah. Re- <laughs> re- review, preview, units, yeah. individual. Like I, I've I've been a lazy fucker lately, so I've, I'm like this week I'm going to the gym. I need to start training again. I went to the gym at South for 45 minutes. I in 45 minutes I had three rugby related calls that I had to take. Yeah, yeah. Oh mate, I, 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 mate, my kudos to the shoot shoot coaches, the, the effort and the time they spend on it. It's quite unbelievable. And you know, second grade is really important because you're feeding the first grade. Cults is really important because of the future. It's yeah, it's a it's a it's a full on job, you know. And um, let's finish on this. You you played Shoot Shield and been involved in Shoot Shield for a really long time. It, it, how do you look at what's happening now, as opposed to more at the start of our? You started a little bit before me, but at the start of our career, it was kind of an obscure thing, in a way. Yeah, and then it's gone through a bit of a, a innovation, for lack of a better word, and now it's. It's it's this amazing product and has this following. How do you look at that? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think it's such a good success. I think everyone's so strongly connected to it. And I think it's the blueprint for rugby is, is that people will follow to their village community or they people want to belong to something and they want to have an identity or a, an attachment to things. And that that's what probably what gives me hope for the Waratahs is that um, people want to support club rugby and it's so strong and vibrant and there's um, financial backing and there's infrastructure and resources and people, the most important thing are the people that give their time to a club. Um, so that's probably, the, that, that, that is the heartbeat or antithesis of, of, of rugby and it's probably why you, you feel um, connected to it. So I think that's fantastic. And I think, you know, as long as that's around, 
then I think the, the future is bright for the game. Oh, mate, I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I look at Shoot Shield and I think the reason it's become such a success is that people know the players. So if you're following it, like for, when I played for South, I would know a lot of the supporters well, well, like well enough to buy, have a beer with them after a game. And I, I feel like that's kind of been lost a little bit with Super Rugby, whereas guys will go straight from Colts sometimes into the Waratahs and they haven't had this opportunity to let people know who they are. And yeah. if, I, if I know, you know, like if I know you and you're going to play cricket or whatever, I'm more likely to watch it than I am just watching a cricket team. Yeah, absolutely. I think and that connection and affinity with people is so important. And I think then that, you know, if, if you know that person, then they go and play, then you'll all go watch him play. You know, you had your mates from uni that would come and watch you. And, yeah, no, I, I agree with that comment. Very, very true. All right, I think I think this rugby's heading in the right direction with some of the stuff that's going on, but we still lag behind other codes. Like the NRL do a really good job of telling the stories of people. Uh, and I, I think rugby's slowly getting there, but we've still got a little way to go, in, in my view. No, absolutely. I guess uh, p- part of the reason I'm trying to do this is, you know, like I, I had hoops on. I, I'd never met hoops. Uh, you, you hear things. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to speak to him as if I'm speaking to you and came across as the coolest, nicest guy. And, you know, I, I've heard people say that different things about him and, since the podcast has come out, they've gone, oh, he seems like a really cool guy. And I, I don't think anyone's ever really told, well, his, his social media is like his granddad does it or something. But <laughs> does, and what, does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it does. I think you don't get, if you don't get the opportunity to tell your story, it's hard for people to follow you and have a connection or, or that relationship with you for sure. Mate, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Thank you so much for this. Um, absolute pleasure to talk to you as always um, if you ever come to a Suit Shield game again uh, South vs Uni um, beers are on me thanks very much Shelby I really appreciate it you're doing a great job mate I, I appreciate it so much best of luck for the sevens at the end of the year I hope it's a good result and um, you know, let's do this again sometime awesome thanks very much mate thanks buddy have a good night cheers cheers Tommy see you mate